Kia ora, Kofus Mithai. Now my kitafari, welcome to the House. You might have noticed it was Budget Day at Parliament today. I imagine by this point you may be thoroughly sick of hearing about it. So before we begin, let me reassure you that I will try and avoid mentioning any amounts of money planned for anything. Here on the House, we try as much as possible to ignore all the politics and instead focus on the policies, the bills, the process and the underlying democracy of it all. But sometimes those things are all so thickly intermingled with politics, it's all but impossible. So let's put to one side all of the budget plans that Grant Robertson outlined in the budget speech and tell you about what happens next. The Speaker, Honourable Grant Robertson. I move that the appropriation 2023-24 estimates bill be now read a second time. The budget speech from the Minister of Finance is an introduction to the House of a bill, like any other law to be. But this one is the shell that will hold the actual spending plan. And so back before the budget speech, he moved that the House adopt it. Immediately he finishes, the Leader of the Opposition, Christopher Luxon, moves the opposite. In fact, he moves a no-confidence motion, one that would unseat the government if it succeeded. Mr Speaker, uh, the question is that the motion be agreed to. I call Christopher Luxon. Mr Speaker, I move that all the words after that be deleted and be replaced with, quote, this House has no confidence in the government because it cannot manage the economy properly, has no plan to tackle the cost of living crisis, and New Zealand is going backwards. But here's the thing. Christopher Luxon's 20-minute long speech and the speeches of all the other party leaders are all pre-written pretty much blind. Excepting the Prime Minister, of course, they are not privy to all the budget details. And so the budget speech was almost as much of a thrill for them as it was for you. Almost. The other party leaders traditionally get a courtesy copy of the documents an hour before it is announced, which is not really long enough to write a good 20-minute speech. Or indeed form a reasoned opinion, especially if you consider the enormous scope of any budget. So as a result, a few things happen. The first is that the speeches in response to the budget necessarily talk about almost anything else except the details of the actual budget. They have blown the budget. Grant Robertson spent billions of dollars. He's blown out the books. We've got massive deficits. We've got years of deficits ahead of us based off this. He's blown out the credit card and debt is spiralling up to $95 billion. That was Christopher Luxon, who, as the leader who got to respond first, had the least time to prepare a specific response. After him, the Prime Minister also got 20 minutes. He has a different job entirely and does get to prepare specifically. But you can imagine that his opening line was possibly just also sitting ready and waiting to go. Mr Speaker, Budget Day is a day for details, a day for plans, a day for vision. We just heard none of those things from the Leader of the Opposition. If an opposition party wants to go whole hog, the budget debate is an opportunity to get very specific and present the bones of an alternative budget. And smaller parties often do. Mr Speaker, in this country, we have taken defence for granted for far too long. We don't live in Helen Clark's benign strategic environment, and that's why X alternative budget would increase defence expenditure to 2% of GDP so that we can play our part and pull our weight in a fully interoperable ANZAC defence force to send a credible message to the rest of the world to back out of the South Pacific. David Seymour had even brought along a printed summary with a nice coloured cover. MPs do love a prop to wave around. But regardless of the cover, 
no one really has the resources to be very specific. The actual budget is hundreds and hundreds of pages of detailed spending plans, and behind that, thousands of pages of departmental and ministry statements of intent and so on. So it can be safer to just focus on the generalities. But when those speeches are written in anticipation, a few spaces are usually left to allow the party leaders to pop in some relevant detail later on, once they know what the details actually are. And the implication of all of that is that we actually have Treasury, page one of the executive summary of the budget, saying interest rates are going to remain higher for longer. Which, if you imagine it, probably means there's a first draft that says something like, I deplore that the government intends to dot 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 details to be added later. Hopefully one day a soon-to-be-unemployed speechwriter will forget to update that bit and an unfortunate party leader will just read the whole thing out. As odd as it seems, there is a huge advantage to not being in the government during a budget debate. If you don't have to get into the weeds of the spending details and balancing things, you might as well go large. For the Greens, Manaba Davidson. This was the budget that could have reduced the outrageous and immoral level of income and wealth inequality we have in this country. It could have been the budget that confronted climate change with the urgency and the scale that it demands. A budget that made sure everyone in Aotearoa has what they need to have kai on the table, a safe place to call home and live a good life. After nearly two and a half hours of pointing and promising, of acclaiming and deploring, applauding and even occasionally laughing, the leaders pack up their soapboxes and leave it to the other MPs. And the debate is also tucked away for later, for another week. And instead, the House gets straight into debating some of the legislation related to the budget. You've been listening to the House. It's a whakaranga quake de fare. This programme is produced with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matawa.